everyone. We're back with a brand new season of Unknown Artist. I'm your host, Nikki E. Taylor, and this is episode one with... My name is Emily Carson Epstein. Uh, I will play a song. You might have heard this song.
When did how how old is that song? Um let's see. I think I started writing I think I wrote the chorus about a year ago. Um and I was just singing around my house. Um and I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> and then I didn't think about it for a long time. And then the, all the verses I wrote in one day, actually when we were recording Mars's album, Out yeah. in the Woods. I was, yeah, we were recording for a week uh, in a cabin in the woods, a tiny like cabin, um, to the point that when we were taking turns recording different parts and no one else could be in the, in the cabin when we were recording, like everyone who was needed in a specific part would go in and the rest mm-hmm. of us would get, would get kicked out. Or I would sit very still and read a book by John Steinbeck. <laughs> and like between takes, I could turn the page and then I would sit there and read the pages. But um, one afternoon, I took the banjo and I went down to the lake um, and I was fooling around and I was like, ah, this song. Uh, so I just wrote all the verses. Nice. Just in a, all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find like a lot of the time I will start with a chorus and, mm-hmm. and it'll get stuck in my head and then I'll think, well, I need to finish the song so that I can actually pay it, play it for people so that mm-hmm. they, can, they can hear not just the chorus, but like whatever the rest is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the chorus is important because you have to say it over and over again. Yeah, you have to like it. Like the chorus <laughs> is what people are going to sing along to or, or remember. So I think, yeah, it makes sense that that usually comes first and then it's kind of the verses are about giving it more context or kind of... Yeah telling the story around it yeah mm-hmm. do you want to talk about the story about it um yeah let's see I so I'm from BC I'm from the west coast um and a lot of people in Montreal are I think I joke that there's a portal somewhere around Comox that you can just stumble into and it drops you out in the mile end um <laughs> and I think I know a lot of artists specifically from the west coast I think Montreal and I don't want to say Vancouver necessarily but the but uh Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands have a similar artistic scene I think mm-hmm. um similar things that people kind of prioritize in their lives creatively so I think I know a lot of musicians who write songs about the west coast and how they miss the west coast because it's it's sad and it's far away and it's beautiful and I do miss it so it's natural when people come to Montreal and make art if people are from the west coast they make art about that and I have a lot of friends um, who've written songs about how sad it is that they miss the West Coast. And so I was kind of like, okay, I have to write the song and get that out of the way. It felt kind of inevitable. And I, but I was thinking of it kind of as a relationship. I wanted it to kind of seem to be like a love song, but I also didn't want it to be too cheesy. And then it, I mean, it became kind of darkly funny as it does. Like the first couple times I played it for folks, they've laughed and I was like, oh, I guess. <laughs> um, Wait, what part were they laughing they at? They were laughing at the, the ocean doesn't actually care about me. They laughed at that? <laughs> I mean, that, it's true. It's funny. Well, I can, okay, I can see how, how it can be funny, mm-hmm. but I guess when, when I was listening to it mm-hmm. just now, um, to me it, it sounded not necessarily sad, but like almost because you, like we get these romanticized ideas of like the, the places that we grew up and, and like how we're so attached to the, the natural environment of that. Mm-hmm. And then to say, like, oh, well, the ocean doesn't care about me is, is really sad. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, <laughs> yeah, me. and it's easy. If we're thinking about it as a relationship, it's it's not a reciprocal relationship. Like, no. if I never went back to the West Coast, the West Coast wouldn't care. Like, I mean, I have friends and family there that <laughs> would care. But, like, the like the beach that I grew up on. Oh, God, the beach that I grew up on. Like, it doesn't care. The birds are different. The animals are different. <laughs> like, it doesn't. So, and it's, and that's. Uh, sad, but it's also freeing in some ways. It's like yeah. I can do whatever I want. But it's, yeah. but yeah. So it's, it's, um, yeah. I guess it's a, it's a love song for the West Coast, but it's also a, a self-aware in the fact that it's not a person and it's not a real relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. 
Yeah, there's a lot of really great imagery in there, like the barbed wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's also, I mean, uh, my other, also the all my artist friends from the West Coast know that it's, it costs money to go places. Canada's oh, yeah. too big, and it costs money to go places, and it's sad. <laughs> I think that's the real tragedy, is I know a lot of folks who are, I think Montreal attracts folks who from far away. I have friends from, from Europe and from mm-hmm. different parts of Canada and from the United States, and so it's, I think a lot of people here I know are, are kind of separated from the place that they grew up, and that's sad because it's so far away and it's expensive to get back there yeah I guess absolutely. yeah I guess that's that's the real treaties of the song we figured it out yeah <laughs> travel is expensive and it's sad travel is expensive where, where would you go if, if you didn't like in if traveling was like actually incredibly easy environmentally sound um like if, if there's no negative impact to traveling mm-hmm. what would you then do where would you go would you go anywhere mm, I think I mean, my, uh, I think it would be nice to, if, if cars stopped being terrible for the entire world, it would be nice to get a car um, and just drive around for a while. I think what I like about traveling is being kind of in control over where you're going and what's going on. So I think, yeah, I think just going around in general <laughs> and seeing all my friends. I think that's what, that's what helps me get through the idea that all these people that I care about are moving far away, <laughs> is the <laughs> idea of going to visit them sometime. Yeah. That's, that's the only consolation. So I think, yeah. Going, going wherever, driving around. Yeah, I think that's the only way that I ever really travel is if I'm, like, going to visit people mm-hmm. or, like, competitions and shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, touring. That's the dream, actually. Yeah, if yeah. I could, if I could, to, like, if I could just tour forever, that's the, that's the dream. It really is. Like, mm-hmm. just get, just get a good old hippie bus mm-hmm. and just tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Have you, been, have you been on many tours? Um, I have, let's see. I mean, I've traveled a lot and I've played music a lot or done different types of performance a lot and you just mm-hmm. happen to do both at the same time. The most, well, last summer and the summer before, um, my band, The Dusty Faces, or my friend Lay, Lay's band, The Dusty Faces, mm-hmm. um, did a bit of touring with some other friend bands. We, uh, one time we drove along the river up to Trapistal and played shows along the way and mm-hmm. stayed in hippie houses and nice. bar, queer barns. And it was, yeah, that was really sweet. and drove around, went skinny dipping. Nice. That was a good time. I've also, on the West Coast, uh, with some fiddle groups, we went to the Sunshine Coast. On the Sunshine Coast, people play a lot of fiddle music. I guess that's about it. And then, I mean, poetry stuff as well, just traveling around. Again, like, as an excuse to go to Ottawa or stuff like that. Well, I I feel like I never really look for excuses to... So my, my family's <laughs> from Ottawa. Uh, so I grew up kind of, like, in, in the Ottawa Valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, I'm just like, oh, I, like... I have to go to Ottawa. <laughs> I don't really choose to go to Ottawa. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but then, then I meet other people who don't have the same, like they didn't grow up there. And so their experience of Ottawa is completely different from mm-hmm. mine. And, and Ottawa itself has changed so much mm-hmm. um, since then. And, and like I, I hear more and more that there's like a lot of really exciting things happening in Ottawa. So mm-hmm. maybe I need to like expand my horizons mm-hmm. and think of it differently. It reminds me a lot of Victoria, which is where I went to high school. I think in terms of size mm-hmm. and kind of um, middle-aged hippies. I didn't know you, you went to high school in Victoria. Yeah, I did. I only went to Victoria once. And what I remember of it is all of the moss-covered roofs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Victoria is nice. I went to high school in Esquimalt. Nice. What was that like? Uh, it was a small school. It was fine i mean like how, I, how small though uh 600 kids. okay that's, that's pretty small <laughs> um yeah i lived in victoria <laughs> from age 11 to 17 
which is like not a great time for anyone. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> so I, I have a grudge against it for that reason. Maybe yeah. um, I don't. I have friends who dream of moving to Victoria, and I'm like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> I don't think I could. That's how I feel about Ottawa. I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was my age around, like mm-hmm. when I was knowing Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think as a teenager, you should live somewhere that you will never want to live in again. Yes. Because either way, you will never want to live in it again. Yes. And everywhere you go, someone's going to know you. You're going to run into someone who knew you when you were 14, and that's not someone I want to talk to. No, I never want to be reminded of who I was at 14. I, <laughs> it's not a fun time. Anyway. <laughs> what was what was 14-year-old Emily like? Oh, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Fair enough. I did just say I never want to think about that. So. Yeah, it's a, a dirty move. Um, do you, do you want to, how many songs did you want to play? Um, I have three songs I could play. The, the other two songs that I brought are very new and I don't know if I know all the words, but we'll find out. Exciting. (laughs) (laughs) This was, yeah, this was great because I've had, I've had a few songs that were like the other one where I was like, wow, I love this part. Never going to look at it again. (laughs) So this was a good push to be like, oh, I should play them for somebody. Yeah. Play them for (laughs) me. So we, okay, so this is a... Trim the hedge so you could see the face 
This morning that said, I'm gonna. Oh shoot, what was it? I'm gonna be the landlord of my own body and refuse to fix anything. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh no, you wanna be a responsible landlord to your body. <laughs> I feel like being in your 20s is just telling all your friends to go to the dentist and not going to the dentist. <laughs> but, like, seriously though, go to the dentist. <laughs> Yeah, here's a message. If you're in university, use your health insurance and go to the dentist. Oh, God, yes. Like, if you have insurance, if you learn anything. Use it. Like, I completely ignored that. And, like, I had dental insurance, but I was terrified of the dentist. And I, like, completely just thought that, that I didn't have to worry about that. And then once I didn't have insurance anymore and I saw the dentist, they're like, oh, wow, your teeth are awful. Mm-hmm. And it was all because of one thing that I could have fixed while I was in university mm-hmm. and I neglected to fix mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And it just affected everything else in my mouth. So go and check your, your teeth out with the dentist. Yeah. yeah, I got three fillings this summer. It was not terrible. I, I don't even know how many <laughs> fillings I have over the, over the last like year or so. I have had so much dental work. Though I have, I have a funny story from the dentist. When I was there, I went in the second time I was there, and I lay down in the little chair, and there was, I was waiting for the man to come. He was this Russian man mm-hmm. who didn't really say anything ever. Um, I was lying there in the little chair, and they had my x-rays up on the screen, um, and two of my teeth were circled yeah. on the screen, and I was like, that's strange. I was looking at it, and I was like, those aren't the teeth that they're working on. That's really weird. And so I sat there, and I was like, oh, dear. This is a mistake. I'm going to have to talk to this man. I don't know oh, no. wh- what's happening. Um, and then after a long time, I realized that it was my nose rings. <laughs> <laughs> and just the way they showed up on the x-ray. Wait, they let you keep them in? Yeah, they didn't take them out. It was like a that is why I no longer have a nose ring. It's because uh, I took them out f- for um, like dental, <clears throat> uh, like the, the x-rays. And so they were like, you need to take it out. So I took it out. And um, and then I forgot to put it back in for like a few hours, and then it just grew over. Oh, I was no. like, well, I don't I well, don't have a nose ring anymore. No, it's fine. They didn't they didn't <laughs> care. But but it like the way it was overlaid over a couple of my my canine teeth, it looked like uh, yeah, it looked like they had secret plans for me. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's anyway, You're just so living that's, in there's fear. There's a song for a about while. the dentist. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> Wait, was I in any way connected to the dentist? No. Oh, we were talking about being the landlord of your own body. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I'm glad your dentist didn't have some, like, sketchy plans. That <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> or, like, the wrong x-rays. I thought you were going to tell me that. It was, like, for the wrong person. Yeah. Like, that would be my biggest fear. It's like, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, like, when I think about myself going to work, and, you know, like all the other things that I do in my life, um, I don't always go to work super fresh and like, <laughs> you know, like super with it. Mm-hmm. I sometimes make mistakes mm-hmm. like everyone does. Mm-hmm. But like if you're a dentist or a doctor and like you have very like understandable off days, the consequences of that <laughs> are just so huge. And yeah, we don't need to, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about the health industry. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's, let's switch topics then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're in a lot of different projects. Yes, I am. Yeah, wh- talk about them. Um, <laughs> let's see. I'm in a band that I mentioned earlier, The Dusty Faces, mm-hmm. with uh, some friends 
Um, and that's kind of, we call it a zombie band because we Why? <laughs> played together pretty consistently for a year. But that band just keeps coming back to life with different iterations <laughs> of people. Because in Montreal, people move and then suddenly everyone's like, oh no, I had a dream that I need to move to New York and live on a rural farm. And you're like, come on. Like, now I don't have a sax player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Call out to Nick. We had, yeah, <laughs> lost two drummers, or not drummers, uh, bass players in this band already. Oh my goodness. Um, so the so different iterations of folks in this band have, have come and gone. Um, but so I joined it summer before this past summer. Yeah, so we played, that was like a consistent group of people for a while. Um, and then our bass player, lovely Erica, moved to Toronto. Uh, we had another bass player who moved to China, Mike. And then, uh, so then it's, yeah, different groups of folks. And then everyone in the band is also in other bands. That's a, that's a thing that like I had only sort of come across like before coming to Montreal there was like one or two people that were in a couple projects but like for the most part people had their project Mm -hmm. and like maybe a band and a solo but like (laughs) that was pretty much it and then I came to Montreal and everyone's in like five different projects at once (laughs) yeah well and I I I drew a a Venn diagram of bands a band diagram (laughs) um at a festival in September of of all the like because a bunch of us drove up together and played together but we were all in each other's bands and so it's like yeah it's like this all these circles overlapping circles but uh so everyone in the dusty faces is in other bands that are more or that are newer or like more i don't know have more going on so Mm -hmm. we basically what's happened is we resurrect once or twice a year to play chick pick and mondays at grumpy's and that's about (laughs) it (laughs) so keep an eye out for the dusty faces at at grumpy's yeah i love chick pick and mondays oh yeah great. great Because I think, I mean, that's that's the only one that I'm aware of in the city that is, like, dedicated every week. You have, like, some, like, women and, like, just not dudes. Tuesday Folk is similar, but that's once a month. Oh, yeah. That's that's something that um, I played once with you. Yeah. And then that's it. I played <laughs> there with Mars, actually, in the summer. Oh, yeah. That was our first gig together. Aw. It was very cute. We wore matching overalls. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we had going for us. No. So you were at Tuski Folk mm-hmm. uh, with Mars, yeah. Mars on the Harp, who was on the, uh, on the pa- podcast okay. last uh, last like season, the first mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so your your project with Mars is, is Dagger Harbor. Yeah, we have a duo called Dagger Harbor. And um, that's really fun as well. That that's we've been playing shows pretty regularly and it was when I when we started playing together she was in the middle of finishing up her album or Mm -hmm. getting ready to record her album and we were jam we met at uh Marie Hamilton's house the harpist oh yeah we were jamming and we were like this is fun and we swapped numbers and then did not talk for about four months (laughs) and then uh and then another creative project that I was in ended and I was like I have no meaning in my life and I texted her and I was like let's jam and we were both like Joan Baez fuck yeah and I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, I am recording an album right now. Don't talk to me. That's not, that's not, I'm paraphrasing horribly. but, but she, No, you're paraphrasing perfectly. Uh, but she was like, but do you want to play on some songs on my album? So I am on a three or three tracks on the album. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, I know that you were on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, then, so that was really fun. Um, and then I played at the album release. And now we're kind of... Uh, so we played only covers for a long time. Mm-hmm. The first song we learned together was Silver Dagger, which is a folk song made popular by Joan Baez. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we got our name. And then, let's see. Yeah, so then so we, we only played covers for a while because all of Mars's original stuff was going towards her album, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really 
writing songs. I was like, I don't do that. What are you talking about? Um, I'm just in I a write, million bands. I write academic papers. That's all I do. <laughs> um, so, but now um, we're both. She's writing newer stuff, and I'm and we're sort of compiling some stuff and getting better at sort of merging the songs that we write. Are you writing like? Have you written anything like together? Together? No, not yet. That's we, a, that's a we, really tricky thing. We talk thing. about it. Yeah, it is hard. <laughs> I I find it it's. Yeah, it's incredibly rare to actually like be able to write a song with someone and be like, yes, we equally wrote this song. Mm-hmm. It, like it almost never happens. Mm-hmm. So I, part of me doesn't believe is it that it does happen. I'm just like, no. Nah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I Always think it's it's unpredictable. It. I find I find songwriting. Yeah, you're like, oh, I have this one bit, and then suddenly something will happen, or like have one conversation or see something and then you're just like ah here's this entire song mm-hmm. and if you don't happen to be around someone else then then <laughs> they can't be a part of it I guess it's true <laughs> yeah um but I think you can also make a song really different and do a lot um by adding someone else oh totally and I think yeah I think like coming up with harmonic structures or figuring out who's gonna sing what first or or that kind of thing mm-hmm. and um, everyone has their own like take on on what they're hearing and and their own way of uh, of adding to it yeah so like sure. there's there's going to be like if you're collaborating with a, another musician there's definitely going to be stuff that you wouldn't have thought about mm-hmm. that is going to change the flavor of the song mm-hmm. yeah so i think it's it's about i think it's the uh my favorite way to collaborate i guess is to have something and then bring it to someone and be like i trust you look at this here i've laid my heart out um, and they're like, okay, great. What if I play this chord? And you're like, okay, sick. <laughs> <laughs> I um, feel like this is exactly how any of the times that we played together went. I was like, yeah. here's the song I did. <laughs> you're yeah. like, oh, that's great. What if I do this? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to do it. Um, yeah, so we're, we're working on more original tunes. We're looking at some gigs for the new year. We're going to play a show in February with uh, Lay's other band, Pudding Chômeur. Mm-hmm. Um, which is her and Lila. And we're going to play together at La Plante in February, at the end of February. Also with, I think Richard Garvey is playing on that show as well. And oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's um, a dream lineup. I'm yeah. excited. So banjo is a really DIY instrument. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Like <laughs> coming from the classical world, like I also play the violin and it's um, the violin that I play most often. My acoustic one is like 100 years old and I love him dearly, but I would never touch or change like I change the strings and I do it holding my breath the entire time (laughs) or like adjust things or do whatever but like very delicate whereas this banjo um is all assembled parts part of it's made out of popsicle sticks um part of it is it's fixed with a broken credit card in one place the one of the pegs I bought online this one doesn't match the other ones at all I bought it online because it didn't have a fifth string peg when I got it so I got this fifth string peg and it didn't fit in the hole in the banjo and I was like, oh, no, I've done the wrong thing. And I was talking to my dad, who's a banjo player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, dear, I'm going to have to find another peg. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he was like, oh, just make the hole bigger. And I was like, what? And he was <laughs> like, just get out your pocket knife and make the hole bigger. <laughs> so, I, so I did. I took out my, my pocket knife and carved a hole in the neck of the banjo. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, God. Um, and then I stuck <laughs> it in with crazy glue. And it's worked great. Doing some banjo surgery. Yeah, and then the, the new pickup that I'm trying out, this, the pickup uh, wasn't made to fit in this kind of banjo, so it's I cut up a can of Vieux Montréal. Um, oh, nice. And use that to, to wedge it in. What were you talking about? Oh, the, yeah, DIY banjo. So I'm, yeah, I'm a fan of, fan of the, the banjo as an instrument that you can kind of do what you want with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you can cart it around. Do you feel that uh, you are naturally a better banjo player because your dad was? a good question i mean he showed me most of the strumming stuff that i do Mm -hmm. um i I don't know if it's 
in my blood necessarily, but I think like the kind of person who's attracted to the banjo is something that we have in common. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a sentence. Being someone who's attracted to the banjo <clears throat> as like a yeah, an instrument that you have control over, an instrument that you don't have to care too much about, an instrument that yeah, I think what you say maybe is not more important, but like clearer than how you say it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like the I think the reason I gravitated towards it is because I wanted to write songs that were more about what you say than what the chords are necessarily. Like it's not like yeah. musically complicated. Like I'm, I was, Mars and I played a basement gig a couple of weeks ago. And when I was waiting for the that washroom, um, a really drunk man came up and said, whoa, you guys are brilliant instrumentalists. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was like genuinely shocked. I was like, not, not because I don't think I'm a good musician, but because I was like, this is, I was like, that's not, <laughs> I was just like pluck, plucking some chords. I don't know. Um, but I mean, if you if you aren't coming from like a musician background, it's it's hard to know exactly what makes a good instrumentalist if you're not an instrumentalist. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, and so like a lot of <laughs> you what can, you're you can trick people into thinking the banjo is good. <laughs> I was reading some ban- banjo jokes are also a great reason to play the banjo. There's absolutely. I think, there's, what's the difference between a banjo and a trampoline, Nikki? I oh I don't know. <laughs> you take your shoes off before you jump on a trampoline. <laughs> I love banjo jokes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually really like personally know any banjo jokes, but a lot of people tell me banjo jokes and mm-hmm. they're always hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, you can swap it out for an accordion or anything. What's the difference between an accordion and an onion? Uh, something about crying. No one cries when you cut up an accordion. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would I would genuinely cry if you cut up an accordion. Mm-hmm. Unless it was like already pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess that's a joke. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then my so my my other band that we haven't talked about. I'm also in um a choir called Cœur du Plateau, which is really mm-hmm. dramatic uh, French choir. Um we sing a lot of Bach. Oh, wow. Um that is dramatic. Right now we're working on uh, a piece by a composer named Frank Martin, which is called The Mass for Double Choir. Um, and it is heartbreaking, and everyone should, if you have, like, 20 minutes, you should look it up on YouTube. Okay. Um, and just, like, lie in a dark room for a bit. <clears throat> um, but Maybe I have yeah, someone I check on you in, like, half an hour. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? Um, but it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. I think, I've been in choirs my whole life, and I am a big believer in the power of singing with groups of people. I think it's vital. I think everyone needs to do it. Um, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in a band that we can't figure out the genre of called Radis Radis. <laughs> with some of the same friends as the Dusty Faces, the, the Venn diagram of the Dusty Faces <laughs> and Radis Radis is getting closer and closer together. Uh-huh. And that's more of, a, of an electronic oh, neat. situation. I have an electric violin that I play uh, in that band. We've got a drummer. Do you run it through some like weird effects and stuff? I can do. I mean, reverb is good. It's every time I've, I've played a show with a sound guy and or sound person, uh, usually a guy, and I'm playing the violin, um, they always put so much reverb on it immediately. Like people just see a see a violin and they're like, "Whoa, do you want to be in a cave? I put you in a cave." And I'm like, "I'm okay." <laughs> I'm like I'm playing bl- bluegrass. I don't really need the cave. And they're like, "You're in a cave now." Um, so my reverb is kind of a default, and that's that's kind of fun. Yeah. Or like some some echoey delay stuff. Well, yeah, I, I guess because like reverb is is such like a, a good thing for vocalists, and and like violin is so similar to to vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think violin is similar to vocals in that it's difficult to amplify it and make it sound good sometimes as well. Like it's, 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 it's tricky. tricky. It's yeah. tricky. It's easy to make the violin sound really bad. 
<laughs> just in general, like like for me and also for, <laughs> for people manipulating sound. It's Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right though. I I feel like um it would be I think like a really good violinist. It's hard to make a really good violinist sound bad. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very easy to be um, not a really good violinist. Uh-huh. Well, and I think instruments without frets, yeah, violins, violas, cellos, these kinds of instruments, you're because you're you're not really. It's not like a piano where you can just look at what you're doing and do it. It's very intuitive, and it's very like you have to be able to hear what you're doing really well to be in mm-hmm. tune. Like you, like you're constantly adjusting what you're doing based on hearing how it sounds because mm-hmm. you don't. There's no like. There's nothing, there's nothing laid out for you there, like frets. So when that's removed and it's coming at you through an amplifier or through a monitor, it's, it tw- twists your mind up. It's really hard. Because like if you're used to, if you're constantly adjusting to make sure what you're doing sounds good, but then you're hearing it at the same time that everyone else is, it's so stressful. It's horrifying. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's my main electric violin complaint. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't have the answer. I don't know. <laughs> just something I've been thinking about. <laughs> Though you are a very fantastic violinist. Oh, thank um, you. And uh, you're, you're just a really talented musician. You do a lot of things. You're a great singer. You do, like, um, like how many different instruments do you play? Thank you. That's very sweet. Um, violin and banjo are the main ones. I mean, I can... It depends how you define play. Like, I can... I can mess around on a piano a little bit. I can. I mean, well, I feel like you're. Situation. I feel like you're. You're a musician that like you. You listen really well, and you have like a good foundational knowledge and and like experience. And from there, you can kind of pick up whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember just like throwing things at you. Like, <laughs> Play this, <laughs> and you did, and uh-huh. it was fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I think. I mean, I I've played music most of my life. I've been lucky that both my parents are musicians. My mom taught me piano when I was pretty young, um, and I didn't really stick with that. I have really small hands. That's my excuse. My, the <laughs> truth is that I can't play the piano, and I'm not very patient. <laughs> if I was patient with it, I could play the piano, but I just say that I have very small hands, <laughs> and I pretend that that's the reason. It's an easy out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but piano is great for sort of yeah doing some music theory and understanding where, where things are at and being able to look at a scale and being able to, to look at, at that kind of stuff. And choral... Um, like yeah, choir-based stuff. You really have to be able to look at stuff at the piano and see how that fits together. Uh, and then, yeah, I've sung, yeah, my whole life mm-hmm. in different situations. Yeah, I feel like choral singing sets you up for like a really good base mm-hmm. of, of music because mm-hmm. you're, you're yeah, s- sure. you get so used to that fine tuning of like, like your your voice can have like so many different pitches, right? Mm-hmm. And so you get used to what it feels like mm-hmm. to be able to like resonate with someone else's voice, yeah. and yeah. so you, you like feel when you're in tune. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really like cool thing to. to yeah, and you have to listen. Like in like in a choir, if you can hear one person, it's not going well. Like it's not <laughs> like you shouldn't be able to pick out one person's voice in a choir. Yeah. And so if you're aware of that and you're being part of that, you have to be able to hear everyone else mm-hmm. to know that you're doing it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in a rehearsal yesterday, actually, for that choir, and we were talking about, we were doing warm-ups where, in the in the Frank Barton piece I was talking about, there's long, sustained points um, where this chord progression's happening, and, and then the voices are changing one at a time and creating different port- chord progressions. Mm-hmm. So you can be holding the same note for eight bars, but as the other notes change around it, the note that you're singing actually changes a little bit. Oh, cool. Like So it's like, it's like the distance between you singing an A and... Um, the alto singing a D is going to be different than when the altos go up to a D sharp because that mm-hmm. means a different chord, so the A has to be slightly different. Like it's like the piano is a lie, 
and the way that <laughs> notes are laid out on piano isn't true. Like notes aren't the same distance apart. Yeah. From each other, it changes. Well, I heard that. So someone, I think it was actually our, our mutual friend Alex, um, mm-hmm. telling me about pianos and how um, when you're tuning a piano, you can't actually tune them exactly, exactly to the right note because it has to like the way that a piano is tuned. You, every note is going to be slightly off, mm-hmm. but it, it works together, mm-hmm. and it, it seems really complicated. But <laughs> yeah, pianos are a compromise. <laughs> yeah. So, but so pianos are a compromise, and when you're all in a situation where things aren't. Like if you're in when it's just strings um, or just singing, you don't have to compromise. You can be exactly in tune. You can mm-hmm. you can really hear that and find that find those harmonics and yeah. and like find like a like a solid fourth or a solid fifth mm-hmm. and really go at it. And it's it's nice. So yeah, I think I think it's good for good for everyone. And also there's I mean there's scientific stuff when a group of people sing together, their heartbeats line up. What? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, if a group of people, I mean, I, there's definitely parameters, but yeah. but it's yeah, it's a, a proven scientific thing that if you, if a group of people huh. are are all singing together, their bodies kind of sync up biologically in a way that it just calms you down. Yeah, like that. At first, I was surprised, but then I, I started thinking about it more. No, that's that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I also knew that um, if you bob up and down. So they they had <laughs> this study where they had uh, babies and mm-hmm. they had babies bobbing up and down at the, uh, a particular beat at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when the babies were were both bobbing to the beat together, and then they would hang out after, they had more prosocial behaviors. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you, if you dance together, it's <laughs> great. If you sing together, even better. Mm-hmm. You show up and you're like, hey, I'm full of pro-social behaviors. <laughs> Do you want to get a drink? And everyone's like, okay. <laughs> everyone's like, I'm compelled to, and I don't know why. Um, I also have a not-so-secret dream of some point in my life uh, starting a queer youth choir. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. um, I think choirs, for all the passion that I have for them, can also be kind of weird social spaces in terms of gender. I think things yeah. are very gendered. Um, when it doesn't have to be necessarily like what you are able to sing and the range that you have doesn't have to fall into a specific category and so I think Mm -hmm. um, that that turns some people away or people that are in the process of transitioning between genders or doing something different with their bodies sometimes don't have a a comfortable place to sing because maybe things are changing Mm -hmm. and there isn't a space where people feel comfortable to observe and welcome that change so I want to make a for youth that are gay and queer. Queer youth choir. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. And and I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that there's not more of that happening. I I wonder if there's already stuff happening that we're just unaware of. Oh always. 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 <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> well, I mean, if anyone's listening to this uh, and you know of a uh, queer youth choir, um, let us know. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, I'm, that's the thing. I'm in, like, five bands and too busy, but I don't know, in four to six years. Yeah. <laughs> I find I... When I get the government funding. Oh, yeah, that's sweet, sweet government <laughs> funding. <laughs> are, you, are you working towards that right now? Like, uh, applying for grants and things? Oh, well, I'm still in school. Um, I've got a couple more years in my seven-year undergraduate degree. Seven years? Your seven-year undergraduate degree. Yes. Are you? Do you have like five majors? So say what's. Is there something wrong with you? No, I'm doing no. a. I'm doing a double major in music okay. and English, but but okay. also I'm just working and I'm yeah. doing a lot of stuff. Like it's more. It's more fun to just chill out. Like being yeah. a. I'm not. I'm not. 
like a, a double major in music and English isn't something that I'm rushing to have in my hands, you know? It's not like I'm going to I'm going to exit that stage and immediately be be burgeoned into my my new glorious life as yeah, a, don't as it. an artist. I'm like, no, I'm just <laughs> hanging out. Yeah, don't but, don't rush it. Enjoy <laughs> it. Be in school as long as you can. Yeah. Um yeah, I uh, I like rush through my my four-year undergrad and I I wish I had to take more time, so it's very wise. <laughs> And I have dental one. insurance. Yes. Going back to our old conversation. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many artists can say they have dental insurance, huh? Huh? So few. <laughs> so few. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I'm doing student activist work as well, which I'm I'm lucky enough to get paid for that, which is kind of where that last song came out of. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, I mean I've got a good situation, and I'm not. But uh, but yeah, I think once I graduate and once I'm looking for other projects I'm definitely going to look into grants yeah I feel like you're you're someone who does more things than I can imagine doing (laughs) um and this is coming from someone who also does a lot of things Mm -hmm. um because yeah you're you're very uh active in um like activism government uh and music and school and just and 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 (laughs) um how do you how do you manage it all um I mean, I try not to think about it all at once too much. Maybe that's my stumbling to, block. Yeah, I try not to just, like, sit down and think about everything that I have to do. Are you just, like, really good at planning? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm a Virgo, and I have a lot of agendas. I love spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets. I also love spreadsheets. Um, I'm not a Virgo, though. But also, I mean, it's it's handy to overlap. Like Like I said, I get paid for the student activist work that I do, which is great, and a lot of my school is music because I'm studying music mm-hmm. um, so that's already overlapping some yeah. some circles and stuff and then I mean a lot of my a lot of my friends are musicians and a lot of my social uh, interactions and environment and friendships come from playing music with folks so that's mm-hmm. that's great yeah and then I just feed my cat <laughs> do you ever so this is something that I've I've noticed on occasion and I'm wondering how uh, how common it is I find I will play music with people and I will spend so much time playing music with with someone and I'll feel like I know them so well so intimately so profoundly and then I'll realize I don't know like anything about that person <laughs> I've spent hours upon hours with this person mm-hmm. but because you you're so intently focused on on what you're doing and your craft and mm-hmm. creating something together that uh you know you don't even you don't know what their family's like <laughs> if they have one and what their day-to-day is like no mm-hmm. idea <laughs> yeah I think I think that's true I though I find some folks I've started playing music with and then I've become good friends with them because of the intense social environment around that. Like, mm-hmm. like traveling together or playing shows together is, it's really, it's intense and you're, you're, you're really pumped up and you're nervous and you're all kind of like bonded through that, I guess. Yeah. Or like, also I've had a lot of good conversations and made friends with folks late at night when you're like kind of drunk after a show. Talk, it's the best talking. time to make friends. Yeah. Just like, yeah. I don't know, like in... Uh, like walking home from somewhere or in a bonfire or in a in a show someplace or mm-hmm. like you end up in strange situations after after gigs i especially like uh, morning after bonding mm-hmm. yeah when everyone's a little bit tired most mm-hmm. people are still sleeping whoever the early arisers are it's usually who i hang yeah, out yeah one of my old roommates in my current apartment told me a story about hanging out with or they do a lot of dancing and they about uh, hanging out with a touring band um, and everyone was crashing in this house and then everyone was brushing their teeth at the same time and someone was saying, this is my favorite part. I love when you're on tour together and everyone stops and brushes their teeth together. It is really cute. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about that. Just, that's what, that's what music 
Yes, it's just dental hygiene. Dental, yeah. This, we keep coming back to this. I don't know. Oh boy. <laughs> but that's that's the real uh, glamorous mus- musician life. It's yeah. five people in a bathroom brushing their teeth together. <laughs> yeah, that's the realities. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a great reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you want to play another song? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a song about the apocalypse. Ooh. But in an optimistic way. Nice. Uh, this is a song that came out of a podcast called How to Survive the End of the World, mm-hmm. which I would highly recommend. I cannot remember the host's name off the top of my head. Shoot. I think they're sisters, but everyone should look it up. It's very good. And there was an episode, the first episode of the show that I listened to was about the revolutionary possibilities of apocalypse. And it was, it was talking about how, I mean, obviously large scale disasters are terrible and, yes. and hurt a lot of people and there's nothing joyful about tragedy, but also situations like that that are that lead to massive social upheaval quickly can bring about a lot of change that wouldn't happen otherwise like the mm-hmm. kind of community connections that are created in the wake of terrible events are often really liberating for folks mm-hmm. um and they talk in the podcast they they cite some studies about how after the official or the the initial shock and and horror of natural disasters dies off often the communities that are left and the folks that are left feel more fulfilled and connected than they did before because your priorities are really laid bare and your, your, your day-to-day needs are a lot simpler and you're forced to connect with your, your friends and your community and your family mm-hmm. in a way that we manage not to <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. So, um, and I thought that was really interesting and really cool yeah. and kind of hopeful in a, in, a, in a time when people love talking about the end of the world constantly. Um, and how that's, I mean, there's hope in that, I guess. So then I was thinking about that a lot and trying to convince people of it at parties. Everyone's like, no. <laughs> Everyone's so <laughs> determined to be sad and angry. And I was like, come on, just bear with me for a sec. Um, so when the end of the world is here, <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be Trust difficult. Me, and I, yeah, I don't want to take that. But also, um, I wrote a song about it. <laughs> okay.
apocalypse. The apocalypse. Lentils and raccoons. <laughs> and growing things. Yeah. That's that's something that I really um, I really like in especially a lot of like sort of punk communities where uh, growing things is mm-hmm. is such like a, a focus. I was I had a conversation at work yesterday. So I I mean it's the end of the semester. It's finals. So instead of doing anything useful at all, um, I bought a big book on pickling things. Um, oh, yeah. And I learned how to darn my socks because I had a conversation. Uh, after reading an article, I was talking to a coworker about the radical nature of fixing things mm-hmm. and how. Yeah, the, the idea that not throwing things away right now in this weird capitalist consumerist reality is, is a radical act. And so mm-hmm. fixing something instead of throwing it away and buying a new one is like, oh, my God, like that's um, so so darn. Yeah. Darning your sock or, or uh, storing food is. Yeah, that's that's a radical way to change the world right now. And that's also like it's grandma activities. We're talking about the radical nature of grandma activities. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> radical grandmas is are they're making it making the comeback. Well, the raging grannies are definitely a thing we need. <laughs> Need the region grannies more involved. I don't know where I got where I got that from, but <laughs> I just had to talk about radical grandma activities. <laughs> Wait, is there is is the raging grannies like is that like a thing? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. The raging the raging grannies. Uh, there's chapters all over different cities. I know there's one in Montreal and one in Victoria for sure. Okay, but it's groups of senior women who will get together and sing at protests. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw the raging grannies performed at a pipeline protest nice. last year. Nice. Um, they dress up wild. They sing songs. Again, yeah, activist choirs, the, the, the power of choirs to, for social change also is something that I've been part of and experienced, and it's super powerful. Absolutely. Because, like, people mm-hmm. want to, like, rally behind things, and they want to get excited. They want to be, like, feel powerful mm-hmm. so that they can enact change. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, music, poetry, mm-hmm. like, all of those things. Or even, like, in a moment of... of uh, crisis, I guess. I was, like, in 2015, I was at Concordia... And there was some student strikes, not the not as big as 2012, but like another mm-hmm. little wave of student strikes around austerity. And a couple of days we were picketing classrooms that were supposed to be on strike, but classes were still going on. And we were like, hey, guys, please don't. <laughs> it was kind of the <laughs> gist of it. But uh, we were doing this and there was someone who was in one of the classes that was being disrupted, started arguing with with one of the protesters and saying like, oh, well, I paid to be here. Like you you can't tell me that I that I have to leave. Um, and they were it was getting really confrontational. People were getting really riled up. Um, and then a bunch of us just walked in and sort of stood around the classroom and started singing. I think we sang Solidarity Forever, maybe. And then immediately it just stopped and both of them left. Like, just, like, within seconds, the whole thing died down. When it was, like, really ramping up to something alarming. And I was like, oh, maybe this is what it's all about. (laughs) I was like, huh, maybe that's it. Will will you become uh, a raging granny? Uh, Yeah, but I don't think I have to wait that long. I think we can, I think you can rage at any age. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Rage at any age. (laughs) <laughs> that's our there's our phrases rage at any age and radical grandma activities yeah climate march super fun you went mm-hmm. i assume i got paid I, to go there went. which is nice it was that paid to go there <laughs> yeah i mean for i was organizing some earlier stuff at concordia yeah. and but we were uh, another coworker and i were joking about people people talk tell you to watch out for those paid protesters on the left and i was like ah shoot it's us <laughs> ah darn <laughs> Well, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta megaphone. That's, um, it was interesting. I think we walked all the way to the end, and by the end of the march, I, it just felt really bizarre to me. Like it had, the vibe was like a music festival. Like there was like stages set up, and there were performers doing stuff, and there was mm-hmm. like 
like like things to contain people and amp the crowd up and kind of like yeah it felt like being at a music festival or something. Yeah, it was super surreal. Um, like when you were walking towards the the stage at the end, yeah. and there's like these there's sound coming out of the um, huge speakers, but like it wasn't necess- like I don't think it was specifically like a band or anything, but it was just like sort of drone yeah. sounds. Yeah. yeah, so I didn't, like at that point I was like, oh, I don't know about this. So we like sat down and had some snacks because we've been walking <laughs> for like four hours and then I just turned around and went back. But I think I think the like, the energy around it in smaller communities that was building was really powerful and the, like we had banner making um, groups at Concordia and different different people getting together around that. I think that was super powerful. And I think, I mean, obviously it was it was huge and impressive, but I think like the actual... I don't know. The, 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 the environmental movement is interesting right now because it's becoming less radical. Like, I've, for a long time, I felt weird. I still feel weird calling myself an environmentalist because that feels... Uh, if, like, especially growing up on the West Coast, everyone is an environmentalist. Yeah. Like, everyone... Like, it's not... It's, <laughs> it's not, not a distinguishing feature anymore. Yeah, it's like showing up and being like, hello, I think that women are people. And everyone's like, okay, great. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, we need to keep having that conversation, but it doesn't feel like... Like, the, the issues, like, as a queer person, the issues that were more... And, like, yeah, with different intersecting identities and different and the, the folks that I know and fo- issues that my friends are facing and police brutality and all this stuff like like there were things that felt more urgent and ignored to me necessarily so it's interesting being a part of the environmental movement in that sense but then realizing that everything is connected it's all connected there was in 2015 again I, uh, Naomi Klein came to Concordia mm-hmm. and there was a screening of a documentary associated with one of her books I, it was a while ago I don't remember but she she was talking about how it's all connected. She was like, well, it's all connected. She was like, a world that is good for the environment is also a world that is good for children and animals and women and people of color. And just like like a, a world that supports one group of people will support everybody. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that, was, that made a lot of sense to me and it really kind of stopped me questioning some of the work that I was doing. That it's just like, is this what, is this what I should be doing? Is this what is important? And it's all it's all connected, I guess. It is all connected. And I think uh, it's it's really important to recognize that we need all of that work. Mm-hmm. And you can't do all of it yourself, but you can definitely do some of it yourself. Mm-hmm. And and if everyone's working on different stuff and, and coming together um, on, on lots of different topics, then that's how things will really, really change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think the Climate March was, was really powerful, but also, I mean, I heard there's mixed feelings about how Indigenous folks who were present felt for example, about it. or, or mm-hmm. So there's, I think there's always work to do, clearly. And if you're going to get 500,000 people in one place, <laughs> people aren't going to agree on a lot of stuff. And that's, yep. But you still need to get 500,000 people in one place. So it's, yeah. it's tricky. <laughs> but it's like, so how can we do that, but also make sure that everyone's safe and comfortable? Yeah, like there's sort of, there's like gradients. Um, and, and yeah, I think like primary focus is get everyone involved and everyone rallying for it. And then there's like all the other, you know, but this also. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, but yeah. it's also like who's doing the rallying and who's, mm-hmm. who are we listening to? Yeah, absolutely. Which voices are being propped up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's it for episode one of season two be sure to check out our patreon page we'll be posting extra content and i'll see you next week when the end of the world is here (laughs) it's gonna be great (laughs) well i mean it's gonna be difficult